97.3 ESPN with a Flyers Minute from Kevin Durso. Thursday was an off day for the Flyers as mandated by the NHL as part of the return to play plan. They will get back on the ice on Friday ahead of the first round robbing game against Boston on Sunday. The Bruins played their lone exhibition game on Thursday night, falling to the Columbus Blue Jackets by a score of 4-1. David Pasternak scored the lone goal for Boston, who had both Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak in goal. One thing to watch for Sunday's game, Bruins forward Brad Marchand left the exhibition early with an apparent injury and will be re-evaluated on Friday. The Flyers will have Carter Hart in goal for Sunday's game. Hart allowed one goal and made 11 saves on 12 shots in Tuesday's exhibition against Pittsburgh. The Flyers face off against the Boston Bruins in round-robin action on Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. You can catch all the action right here on 97.3 ESPN. With this 97.3 ESPN Flyers Minute, I'm Kevin Durso. The home of Philadelphia Eagles football. WENJ, WENJHD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents The Sports Bash with Mike Hill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DiCecco. Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in! Touchdown! Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It drops every Monday and Thursday morning. And, of course, on Fridays, we are joined throughout the year by Andrew to check out. Check out all of his work over at 973ESPN.com. And Andrew Joins us all guests doing the boardwalk on the hotline. Jim Schwartz spoke today. What's going on with the Eagles roster? Could the Eagles maybe go outside on a free agent wide receiver? We'll go into all that and more now with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to a TGIF Friday. What's going on, Josh? It's good to talk to you, man. It's been a while. It has been a hot minute, absolutely. You know, between all the Sixers and Flyers coming back and you know the fact that, you know, the world keeps spinning around no matter what. But football keeps happening, and part of that happening was Jim Schwartz spoke today. First of all, it was good to see, you know, not as much has changed with Jim, as much as the world is, has changed around us, Jim Schwartz has not changed at all. And as always, he always gives some pretty brutally honest answers. And one of those things he talked about was, Andrew, there is a competition for the cornerback position opposite Darius Slay. Yeah, Jim Schwartz today reaffirmed what we pretty much already knew, that there was going to be a battle there for that second cornerback spot. To me, you know, he left it open to even Rasul Douglas. But to be to be honest, I think it's going to come down to Avante Maddox and Sidney Jones. And when you look at what each player brings to the table, Sidney Jones has the size and the length, and Avante Maddox has the experience and the versatility. But they both have endured their shares of peaks and valleys, right? So Avante Maddox has struggled on the outside with some bigger body wide receivers, but he's also performed well in certain spots. And Sidney Jones as well, you look at what he did down the stretch last season, he broke up that, that pass to Michael Gallup in the end zone to help the Eagles to propel, to propel them to win 17 to nine. He, but you know, he might be coming down to his last opportunity here in Philadelphia to earn a starting spot you know, given the opportunities that he has, that he's had. And, you know, I think the Eagles in in a perfect scenario would like for Sidney Jones to win that spot because I think they really like Avante Maddox as that positionless defensive player where they can put him on the outside in the slide at safety and move him around. So Jim Schwartz can kind of deploy him however he sees fit. 
So yeah, I, I think they're banking on on Sidney Jones winning the winning the spot. I just don't know how feasible that's going to be. Well, that's interesting that you bring up the Avante Maddox thing because I was going to say if Sidney Jones does win that outside spot, he's too good to just sit behind Sidney Jones and then sit behind right. Roby Coleman as well. So you would anticipate that he would still get a lot of playing time then. Yeah, um, he, like you said, he's too good to, to keep on the sideline. I think that they would find a role for him, and I think that the, ta- the fact that he can do so many different things kind of enables Jim Schwartz to put him in, put him out, put, get him on the field fairly often. So I think that that's that's kind of what I foresee their their dream scenario being, so they can kind of move him around because Sidney Jones he can only play on the outside. He's tried they've tried to put him in the slot before, it hasn't quite worked out. He can only he's only a perimeter defender, so ideally. You know, you want him to just win that role, and you can use uh, Avante Max as a versatile chess piece. You mentioned about Avante Max being a versatile chess piece. So and I'm just throwing out a, a scenario. If there's a situation where they need someone to move around, whether it's because someone gets injured or maybe someone tests positive for COVID-19 or someone plays poorly or whatever the situation may be, how would you think the Eagles handle it? Let's say Avante Maddox did win that position, but then they needed to move somewhere else. You know, how do you think the Eagles would handle that, considering the fact that wasn't part of the reason why the roster was set up the way it was for multiple safeties, multiple slot corners, but then you got to take your primary outside guy away. Doesn't that affect some of the way you built up the rest of the roster? Yeah, it definitely will, and that and that comes with the you know Avante Max being a positionless player. You're able to shift a guy like a Sidney Jones or a Rasul Douglas there, or you know even a Jalen Mills. Uh, that their their safeties that they have there are very versatile. Outside of Rodney McLeod, Jalen Mills can play corner. Will Parks can play corner. He has played corner uh, at a, at a decently uh, high level for the Broncos, and um, and Kayvon Wallace can move around as well. So I think that that they kind of fit the mold as what Jim Schwartz is really looking for in a defensive back. And because of what you said, because there's all these different variables that, that you have to account for going into a season. And I think that they've kind of assembled that, that what Jim Schwartz is looking for in his defensive backs. What are your takeaways after learning that Lane Johnson, Nate Gary, and Jordan Maialata are on the COVID-19 list? Well, my takeaway is that, you know, there, there's going to be a lot more players. I think that, that that's going to happen to, you know, um, you look around the league and, and see how, how common that's becoming. I believe the Buffalo Bills sent five of their, sent their entire rookie class home because there was five rookies that tested positive for COVID-19. Um, you know, I, I, I anticipate every team having a few and, you know, it's not really a surprise. Now you say it's not a surprise, we know what's going on with baseball right now, and this is something I've asked Jeff Mosher, and we touched on with Adam Kaplan a little bit yesterday, but I want to get your perspective as well. What can the NFL learn from baseball basically just stumbling and fumbling over themselves? I mean, baseball basically went to the start line with their shoes tied wrong, and they got halfway down the race, and they tripped and fell in the grass. Yeah, Major League Baseball is, is a prime example of what poor planning you know, kind of leads to. And I think that, you know, the NFL, because they're getting a later start, they're kind of able to see what the major leagues, what the major league uh, did wrong and what they can kind of do better as far as protocols. And I think you're seeing, 
you know, yeah, they're 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 implementing these uh, multiple two or three times if they need to be tested, and there's certain protocols that are in place for the NFL to you know be a little bit safer. Granted, they can't do the bubbles and the bubble concept that the NBA is doing because of the you know the roster sizes and the coaching staff and the and and, every, and the medical staff, so that can't happen. But I mean, I think that you know they have a plan in place. I just don't know how realistic it's going to be to be able to get through uh, a full slate of games this season. So I would ask you this do you feel like they can make this work I mean do you really feel like there is a possibility to make sure they get through a 16 game season well Hunter I mean I think that the season will start on time I just don't know how realistic it's going to be to finish it because of the just the nature of of football you know you're hitting each other for for an hour you got blood sweat you know transferring and you know the close quarters of a locker room You, you can social distance as much as you want but I mean, as as far as the, the the sport itself, it's kind of impossible to to really be able to abide by those guidelines throughout for an entire season. With that being said, isn't part of the and again, I'm not I'm not trying to you know dismiss what was just said and what you guys are talking about, but I keep looking at this as if we're testing everybody, right, and we clear everybody and be like, you're clear, you're good to go not just for every day in practice, but for Sundays as well, shouldn't that ensure that the people who are walking in the competition are clear, similar to what other sports have been doing outside of baseball, where it's everyone's being tested, everyone who walks onto the field, onto the court, onto the ice, they're all in the clear, so you should be safe and okay. Yeah, you know, in theory that works, but then there's there's you know there's always the asymptomatic players and, and, and things like that that you can, that you can't really account for. So, like I was saying, it's it's kind of almost impossible to get through an entire season with you know no positive tests. You know, after you get the initial you know the initial ones out of the way. Um, so I, I think that when you look at it, it's 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 pretty difficult. I think like I said, I think they'll be able to get it off on time, and I do think the protocols are in place. It's just the the nature of the sport I think might be a little bit more challenging than than some may realize. What do you think about the hyper-restrictions with some of those protocols? The fact that guys could be suspended, guys could be fined, potentially even maybe even lose close to a game check if they violate certain things off the field. Do you think that's a strong enough deterrent, or do you think it doesn't matter? Um, I, I think it, I mean... It, I like the the fact that the, that they were so strict on some of the on, on the parameters. You know, you can't go. I believe it's to an ins- you can't go to a restaurant and sit inside. You can't go to a nightclub, obviously. And you know, there's some strict things that are in place there. Um, I mean, there's going to be some guys that that aren't that, that won't you know kind of abide by those rules. And I think you'll see a lot of younger guys that probably will because they don't want to risk getting fined or anything like that. But um, it's, it's, they really make it so that you literally go to practice and you go to your hotel and, and, and that's it. Uh, they don't really want you going. They made it very clear. You know, you can't do any groups, I believe, of more than 15 people and things like that. So I, I don't think you'll see a lot of young players really try to stretch that boundary. I think maybe some of the veterans may. How do you think all of these players opting out impacts the league's ideas? I think it, I think it impacts their, uh, their ideas Somewhat, but I think it, it'll take some. It'll take a you know a bigger name player to really opt out for them to really look take a step back and look at what they what they need to do because I mean there already has been some decent some decent names that you know Dante Hightower or Damian Williams the running back for the Chiefs that have opted out and um, eventually 
you know, I, I think you need to look at it and be like, okay, you know, there there are legitimate concerns here. You're getting a lot of guys that are opting not to play. You know, you get some guys that, you know, have health reasons and some guys that, you know, family can, family concerns that they're just not going to play. And I think they need to look at it. And once the numbers, if, if the numbers become, you know, too, too much, too great, too out of hand, where you're kind of going to sacrifice the product on the field, I, I think they really need to look at it and, and, and maybe consider their options. Well, one of those players was Marquise Goodwin. So how does this change the depth chart of the Eagles wide receiving core? I think it does change the change the landscape a little bit. You know, I, I consider Marquise Goodwin as an under-the-radar player that I thought could have a decent impact on the team. Not that not necessarily that he'd be a starter, but he'd be a backup to replace Deshaun Jackson should he miss any time due to injury. And when you, you look at what the Eagles have right now, you don't have Alshon Jeffrey. He's on the PUP as he's nursing that, and he's working his way back from the Liz Frank injury. You don't have Marquise Goodwin, so you have Deshaun Jackson, and your next veteran receiver is Greg Ward, who has 28 catches to his name. I think that you know the Eagles could go for a low-cost option on the free agent market to add some speed in there, maybe a Tower Gabriel, maybe a Paul Richardson, or maybe even a Tavon Austin. But I do think that you need to bring a veteran in there just to have that. You know, whether or not they make the team or not is 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 you know it's up, ultimately going to be up to them. But you know, you, you can get one of these guys in there on a low-cost option. Um, and you, and you kind of see what they can do. Marquis Goodwin wasn't a sure thing to make the roster anyway, but I think, you know, when you look at, there's just the sheer depth of, of the receiver position right now, you just have Deshaun Jackson and a, and a, and a bunch of young players that really haven't proven anything in the NFL. So you really should bring a guy in there. And I think they, I think they will. Andrew Checker joining us here on the boardwalk on the hotline on 97.3 ESPN football at four powered by inside the birds.com. Make sure you're following Andrew on Twitter at a DeCecco NFL. Also check out his articles over at 97.3 ESPN.com where he breaks down the guys that he just mentioned, Paul Richardson, Tavon Austin, and Taylor Gabriel as potential options for the Eagles. Now, Andrew, forgive me, but I'm going to push back on you a little bit. I feel like sure. the guys you just named there, Aren't they those guys more so slot receivers than outside receivers? And don't the Eagles, if they were to lose to Sean Jackson or Alshon Jeffrey as a setback or anything else happens, don't they need more outside guys than inside guys? Yes, they do. But when you look at what the Marquise Goodwin's role would have been, he would have been uh, a slot receiver. Uh, Paul Richardson has played on the outside in the past. And Tavon Austin is one of those guys you can kind of line up everywhere. Obviously, you don't want to put him on the perimeter, but you know he can he can be a movable a movable offensive weapon that, out of the backfield and things of that nature. But yeah, they do have a problem there at the X receiver position. They only have uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside and also Rob Davis, who a lot of people forget about. Um, he, he actually the door is somewhat you know open for him to maybe steal one of those final roster spots because they need to have some size. They don't have anybody with size outside of Alshon Jeffrey and. And JJ, I mean John Hightower, I believe is just over six foot as well. So you can see that they have a, a large contingent of of undersized receivers, but a lot of speed. Now you mentioned the fact that guys like Tavon Austin can play over the field. Well, we know that the Eagles want to play Jalen Rager all over the field. We know Rager said that he's been studying multiple positions. The Eagles believe that he has a high enough football IQ to be able to do different things. What do you think would have to happen? With no NFL preseason, training camp not even started for a couple of weeks, what would have to happen in training camp with guys like Rager, Watkins, and Hightower for the Eagles to turn around and say, we absolutely have to go out and get somebody else? 
Well, that would be that would obviously be a worst case scenario. The conversations that I've had with Sonny Cumbie, who was um, Jalen Rager's offensive coordinator at TCU, he reiterated that he is a quick study, he's a quick learner, and you know he that he would grasp whatever system he's thrust into fairly quickly. So I'm not really concerned about Jalen Rager, and the best thing for him is reps, and he's going to get a lot of them right now with not a lot of guys, and not not a lot of, not a lot of other options there. Um, but when you look at John Hightower and Quez Watkins, those are two players that. Yeah, they have a lot of enticing speed, but they are both incredibly raw in many areas of their game. John Hightower played, spent his first two years at a junior college, Heinz Community College, um, and he really needs to get stronger, add some size, really learn how to compete for the football in the air. But he does have intriguing physical uh, physical attributes. Quez Watkins is another guy. He's more so built for the slot, but he also has a lot of speed there. I don't know how, how much those guys are going to get to really show in these you know four four or five weeks to really kind of give the Eagles a lot of confidence that they have, you know, enough guys in place they can step right in and play, you know, whether it be week one, week two, or week three. I think that they do need that. That's one of the main reasons why I think they need to go out and add a veteran, just to kind of bolster that unit. I'm going to compare this to the Sixers real quick. Shake Milton was thrown into the starting lineup that never played together, and we are expecting this starting five to just work out and make this playoff run. And I know Jalen Rager was a first-round pick, so it is a little bit different. But is it fair to expect so much out of Jalen Rager? It seems like his role is being is going to be more important as we keep learning new things, like Marquise Goodwin not being available. So, you know, is... Is it fair to expect this much out of Jalen Rager right now with the whole COVID-19 not really having an actual camp? Yeah, I, I think uh, I encourage fans to temper their expectations with Jalen Rager. He's, you know, given the given the abbreviated offseason, given that he's, like you said, he's thr- kind of thrusting the deep end here and really he is he's going to be a starter because they don't have any other options. But I think that he, he is unique and more so than a lot of rookies because he's not one of those traditional wide receivers that you really need to force feed the ball to on the outside or on the inside. You can get him the ball on jet sweeps. You can get him the ball on screen passes, and he can impact the offense that way where he's able to manufacture yards and take advantage of his ability in space. Um, so he, he will make his plays, but I, I encourage fans not to, not to put too much on his plate right now because um, – like you said, it's there's only a handful of weeks where he can really uh, get that continuity with the offense, and then he's kind of hit the ground running. One guy we haven't touched on yet, and I would love to know your perspective on this guy, is we haven't really talked about J.J. Ortega-Whiteside much yet. I mean, this is a guy who, when he was drafted, he was coming off of some crazy production at Stanford. He was arguably the most you know, productive red zone target in the, at least in the Pac-12, his two, his last two years in Stanford. And he's a guy who really hasn't been able to play up to expectation. And he only had the one year last year. So, you know, where does J-Jaw fall into all of this that's going on? You know, that's a great question because, you know, when you look at the wide receiving core, he's one of the guys that you, you just don't hear about. But he's going to be, uh, he's more than likely going to be a starter. Like I said, he's the only other, uh, he's the only other ex besides uh, Alshon Jeffrey. Um, also Rob Davis, but he's going to have to play on the outside. He's going to have to step up and, you know, really take that next step in his progression and be that red zone target that they drafted him to be. Now, will he ever be a burner? Is he ever going to create that separation? Probably not. That's not his, that's not in his wheelhouse. But what you saw on film was his his ability to kind of elevate high points of football and get a play that above the rim style of play. Now, last season he dealt with some injuries and probably some, some confidence issues and, he, he, he saw in that podcast where he mentioned that he would go into his game day weeks and not really know what position he was kind of the information overload. He didn't really know where he was lining up. So I think this year, you know, you get a new offensive, uh, a new wide receiver coach and Aaron Moorhead, 
who played the game before has a different presence in the in the in the meeting room and kind of is able to really see what he's see what he's good at and work him into the offense. I think you'll see a new JJ Arcega Whiteside in twenty twenty. Did anything stand out to you when Carson Wentz spoke yesterday? I know he mentioned that he was thinking of opting out with the new baby. So did anything stand out to you? No, nothing really. It's just more so that he really had this offseason that he was able to focus on, you know, getting better, you know, lifting weights. He saw how much bigger he looked. He was kind of, instead of, you know, putting focusing his attention on rehab, he was more so able to focus on preparing himself for the 2020 season. That's one thing that really stuck out to me, and I think that, that when you look at the, you know, you look at him getting slighted and everything, I think he's really going to, you know, emerge this year and leave no doubt in anyone's mind that he's a premier quarterback in the, in the NFL. Andrew Checker joining us here at Football at Four, powered by Inside the Birds, the podcast. Also, check out everything Andrew's got going on at 973ESPN.com. He wrote about three veteran receivers the Eagles could bring in to fill the void without Marquise Goodwin. Also, he wrote about what Jim Schwartz had to say to the media today about the cornerback and defensive back positions. Andrew, I want to stay on the offense with you, though. Deuce Stanley also talked about the running backs. He had some interesting things to say about some of the guys that you have talked about here on 97.3 ESPN, specifically guys like Killens and Warren. Yeah, you know, Killens is a fun player, uh, Josh. I got to see him at the East West Shrine Bowl. I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you or if I mentioned it to Mike or Hunter, but he was one of those guys where I walked past him on the field after the game and I barely noticed him. I thought he was someone that was working, you know, working this, like a staff member or something because he was so small. I believe he was only 5'7", 160 pounds. Um, but he's electrifying. He's very fast. He, I think he had 90 yards receiving in that game, if I'm not mistaken. I remember sitting in the press box looking at somebody. I was like, you know, the, that kid, well, he's not going to get drafted, but he'll be in someone's camp and he'll have a chance to make the team. Now, I don't, now those, those chances are, are very small now, given everything that, that's happened over, transpired over this few months. But, I mean, he, he's a fast guy. He, he, he can impact the return game. I just don't know how many reps he's going to get this summer. A guy who I really like, who I've talked about a lot about, is Mike Warren. I think Mike Warren really fits the profile of that bigger, bruising running back that the Eagles really don't have on their, on their roster right now. I think he has a little bit more of a higher – he has a higher ceiling than a Corey Clement. He can catch the ball a little bit. He can run downhill. And he doesn't have much tread on the tire. And he, has a, he doesn't have quite as lengthy of an injury history. And if he returned to the college game this year, everyone's talking about Mike Warren as being, you know, one of the top running backs in college football. So I think the Eagles got a steal there. I just hope that he gets a fair opportunity to show what he can do. Now, you said a fair opportunity. I'm really curious what that is, though, because with no preseason games and the limitations of a training camp, you know, how are you really going to evaluate running backs considering the fact that at least in my opinion, I feel like live game action sometimes is the only way to evaluate some of these running backs because of the real world circumstances of third downs and plays not going right. You know, how the young player responds in those situations, we're not getting that. So how can we evaluate a guy like Warren in order for him to prove he deserves to be on the roster? Right. This year is going to be, because it's so unprecedented, I think that you're going to see a lot of coaches that really rely on their college tape on the, uh, because they don't have much to go off of. Also, another thing that they're going to really have to you know, impress in in order to get the, win the coach's you know, attention, they're going to have to impress in the film room. You know, if they're getting, you know, if they're getting grilled with questions, you know, you got to answer. You got to know where you're supposed to be and you have to know your past blocking responsibilities. And I think you can really impress coaches that way. 
Um, but, you know, they, they find themselves in just the same position as all the other young players. Um, Corey Clement is, is in the similar position, and he's played before, you know. Um, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how some of these young guys are able to rise above, you know, rise through this adversity and, and, and claim a roster spot. Because there's, I'm telling you, man, there, there's some talented undrafted players that the Eagles came away with. And it, it would be a shame to see them, you know, not really get a fair shake and, and find themselves on the outside looking in. He's Andrew DiCecco. Check him out on Twitter at NFL. Check out all of his Eagles coverage over at 973ESPN.com. He joins us every Tuesday and Friday here on the Sports Bash Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And as all guests, he appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Andrew, I'm not going to ask you what you're drinking this weekend because I don't know as much beer as Mike Gill does, so I'm not going to even try to embarrass myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Have a good one, my friend. You too. Take care. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gell here on the Sports Bash along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, we got Ask, Broads, and Josh coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN. Send your questions in 609-403-0973. Sports Bash 4 o'clock hour being brought to you by the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. Now that's time to get these juicy Jersey fresh peaches and nectarines you're guaranteed to enjoy these jersey gems find jersey fresh peaches and nectarines at your favorite market stay local buy jersey bros when was the last time you had a nectarine it's a great question i love them i love all fruit there's no such thing as bad fruit to me i'm a fan of fruit i just like certain fruit better than other fruit that's all well that's fair uh, there is one, though, that I am obsessed with lately, and What's it's that? raspberries. I'm similar. I've been on a blue, I'm a, a strawberry binge lately. But something about the the sweetness, you know, like the tang of a raspberry, it's so good. I had to get around the, the hairs on it, though, for a little bit. That was something that, well, when I was younger, like, turned me off a bit. That it was kind of, you know, it was like a little, got some hairiness to it. Peach fuzz. Yeah. I had to get around that, but once I did, it's tremendous in the cereal and the yogurt. I mean, you name it, I'm throwing it in there. If you could pair only one fruit with a raspberry, what would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. It's either a blueberry or a blackberry. I'm not a big fan of blackberries, so I would I would lean to the blueberry more. I think I would go blueberry. I think I would. Although I think that the idea of raspberries with any type of like citrus fruit like oranges or nectarines, something like that. That sounds like a good time, too. I'm such a fruit saladsman that I enjoy throwing anything together when it comes to fruit. Fruit saladsman? Yeah, I'm a wow. fruit saladsman. You're not? Oh, I, I like the fruit salad. I just never heard it as called a fruit saladsman before. There's a lot of things I say that most people have never heard before. That's true. At least you're not ambiguous. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Jennings. Sports Bash. Ask Bros and Josh next. 609-403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. Sports Bash here on 973 ASBN. Ask Bros and Josh. Send your questions in. 609-403-0973. We got a lot of interesting questions today, Broads. Yes, we do. But before we get to that, 
DraftKings. DraftKings. The final 22 teams are ready to get back out on the court, and there is no better place to get in on the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, the top-rated top sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of hoops, DraftKings is giving all users a special odds boost for the first three days of the season. Bet $20 to win $100 on any team of your choosing. All you have to do is sign up and navigate to the Promotions tab within the app and use code 973. All users can get a special odds boost. Bet $20 to win $100 on any team of your choosing. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only, restrictions apply, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Like it. We got Phillies, we got Sixers, a lot of Sixers frustration. Ooh. You ready for this one? We haven't even had games yet. I know, right? That's kind of funny. I can only imagine what it's going to be like. This is from QG. You can't force a man to care. Look, obviously Brett and Brand suck. But after a while, I'm beginning to think we should build around Ben Simmons. Hope guys like Booker become available. I'd explore a trade for that. Just me, though. Joel might need his own team. I'd move on from Brett first. A lot to dive into. Yeah, with this. a lot to. First of all, I want to so, I want to backtrack a little bit. So he mentioned Booker. I've seen a lot more chatter online about the trading Embiid for Devin Booker from people in the in the Twitter sphere and in other social media platforms. Here's my problem with that trade, though. And I thought I would hate the trade per se. The problem with that trade is this: if you're trading away Embiid. You know who you have to keep? Horford. And people need to figure out what do they want least or more. Do they want to move on from Horford and rebuild the starting lineup that way? Or do they want to move Embiid and keep Horford? Because if you're going to get rid of Embiid, someone's got to play center. And Rashad Holmes is busy in the bubble being quarantined for ordering food and crossing the border of the bubble. So... Again, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but the point is is that I feel like a lot of times people make these trade ideas. Or, I want Devin Booker, or I want to trade Embiid, or I want to build around Simmons. It feels like they don't really have a plan beyond that comment. Like, they haven't really thought beyond that. It's just, I want this, or I don't like this. But they have no understanding or don't want to talk about the consequences of doing what that would do to the team, to the franchise, to the salary cap. Well, here's where I come into play. First off, Joshua Harris is a businessman. He's not one of these guys that cares about winning. He cares about money. That's what he cares about. Let's be real. You really think he's going to allow the Sixers to just get rid of Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid sells jerseys. Joel Embiid sells tickets. Joel Embiid is someone who this city definitely pays money for. Not that Booker would not be. But Joshua Harris, I don't think he's just allowing Joel Embiid to walk out the door like that in a trade. It would take some serious conversation to do that. Here's my other problem with the trade trade for Booker people. A lot of these people don't even watch Devin Booker play. They don't even watch him play. They just see that he scores buckets. He has flaws in his games. Now, I'm not saying that he's not a bad player. But if you watched him just as heavily as you watched Joel Embiid, I think you will come up with plenty of reasons to freak out on his game as well. People get fascinated by scoring, and he scores the basketball. I haven't seen that really translate into carrying a team or winning basketball in Phoenix, and that's not to knock him. 
my point of it is, he has flaws in his game. That the same people who are ready to trade Embiid or trade Simmons, you'll be complaining about Booker within two months with something else. He doesn't play defense. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He's flawed too. Every player's flawed. And part of the problem with fans, and listen, I, I appreciate their passion, but they tend to be irrational. And because they're irrational, they think everybody stinks on their team and everybody on every other team is wonderful unless that they love a specific player. And then it's that player is the greatest player on earth and nobody else's players is good enough. So I feel like some of this, I want to treat Embiid for whoever comes down to the fact people are frustrated with Embiid, which they should be. You should be frustrated with Embiid. But I don't think trading for Devin Booker solves that problem outright. I think it only just creates new questions to be answered. A couple other things I want to hit on with this same comment. Uh, he says, look, obviously Brett and Brand, Brett and Brand suck. Your thoughts on that? Let me know when the person who says that has a better plan that actually would work than Brand or Brett do and get back to me. Well, I do like the fact that he said, I'd move on from Brett first, though, which I agree with. If Before you start making all these obnoxious changes here and there, you move on from the coach. Listen, a broken clock is right twice a day. Just because this guy had one solid point in the whole thing doesn't mean that we should give him that much credit. No, but I'm just saying. I mean, you're, you're big, insanely criticized a texter if you think that they have this vibe surrounding their their text. I just feel like... I see you off the air. I mean, you go, this texter! I can't believe he said this and that. And then I go, Josh, think about it. What he said kind of makes sense. And then you count, no, but he's saying this and that. You dive deep into those texts sometimes to the point where I think you got to chill out with some of the text. I think that if you're typing out a text, you automatically should be thinking through what you're saying. If you hit send, remember Herm Edwards? Don't press send. The previous part of Don't Press Send is Herman Edwards explaining that you got to think through what you're saying when you hit send. To me, if you're going to send in, and listen, we get some phenomenal questions sometimes on the text board and on Twitter and other places, and sometimes it's fail, it's it's but failing to live up to expectations. I think some of the ones that you get all not frustrated with, but you know you. You get on that rant. This texter, I, I can see it in my head right now when you're reading the screen off the air about the text, which is phenomenal, by the way. I love it. But sometimes I feel like they're actually decent, and the way that you're interpreting it is a little too extreme. Not in this case, because everything this man said was extreme, except for the last one, but I have seen it in the past. To quote the great Raymond Reddington, I am what I am. And I appreciate what you are, Josh. You are one of a kind, as we all are. You know, we're all unique in our own ways. Speaking of the text board, we do have an Ask Broads and Josh question. Joey D from Ventnor chimed in and says, What is your go-to hangover food? Cheesesteak, fast food, or other? Now, this is where a question that we had previously on five questions comes into play. Back in my heavy, heavy drinking days. So, last week? No, I'm talking about like 10 years ago. Okay. My go-to was pancakes, blueberry 
pancakes, to be that's, specific. That's why you had to give me some official breakdown on the waffle or the pancake. My hangover food was the blueberry pancake. Now, this was a very rare instance where I indulged enough that I was legitimately needing that much the next day. Because typically, I'm just hungry no matter what. I'm just a person who likes food. So, for me, it's not really discernible about quote-unquote hangover or not. But listen, when you wake up in the morning and you know it was a long night, there's nothing like some high stacks of blueberry pancakes with some bacon and sausage on the side. Well, I'll one-up you here. You mentioned sausage. It is a Wawa breakfast burrito, sausage, egg, and cheese with the hash brown in the burrito. That's my hangover food. The problem is I love it so much that I want to eat it when I'm not hungover. And because I eat it a lot when I am hungover, it takes away the enjoyment because it brings me back to those moments where I feel like I want to vomit all over the place. So I don't get to enjoy it as much when I'm not hungover because it just brings me back to those times. I like it. I don't know if you would like that. I mean, I wouldn't. I like the fact that how descriptive you got. Oh, okay. I don't know if that'd be my personal preference or what I'm going to Wawa for, but I appreciate what you brought to the table with that. Okay. You got another one over there? I do. I do have a couple over here. Uh, 609-403-0973. What was the best sports arena you ever visited? Now, our questions are going to be very different because I'm curious to know, was this a, an arena you visited as an athlete or as a fan, Broads? It's an interesting question because as an athlete, I'm trying to think. I did play... I played on the Pittsburgh Penguins ice. Like, I played in some cool environments. I mean, I played at Citizens Bank Park when they had the Winter Classic ice set up. But is Citizens Bank Park a cool place to be when it's in your backyard? Well, is it one of the best sports arenas you've ever been in? Probably not. Okay. I mean, I've been to Fenway for an outdoor hockey game. I didn't play in that one. I was just watching a couple buddies play. So you would put Fenway over Citizens Bank Park? I would. No doubt I would. I haven't been to that many crazy spots, you know. Um, I mean, I guess Fenway. It wasn't for a baseball game, though. It was for an outdoor hockey game. But I guess it would have to be Fenway. It's the most prestigious. Well, no. I want to know what your best arena was. It doesn't have to be the most prestigious. I, To me, it's what is, what is, what is memorable for you. Well, see, I went to a lot of college hockey rinks, and they're so cool and so unique and, you know, University of Vermont and Boston College and Boston Universities and Maine's. Like, I've been to some pretty cool college hockey rinks, but I just don't think that compares to something like Fenway, though. How can it? It can't. It can't. Right? I mean, it can't. There's just no way. Alright, I mean, I'm I'm, li- I'm leaving it open interpretation for you, because the texture didn't get specific, so I'm trying to leave it open interpretation. So, for me, there's there's two answers to this question. I'm going to go out to outside and inside, okay? Such a Josh thing to do. So why, why you got to make things so complicated? Camden Yards in Baltimore is one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had as a sports fan. I got to go for the very first time when I was, I think I was 19 years old. And it was literally an impulse, let's go to the game. You know, you walk up and you buy a ticket. And I got left field seats. You know, just in good left field seats. Like, not like the, the nosebleed. Like, lower level. Because I just went up and I was like, what, what's the best thing you have available? Like, what are you trying to get rid of right now? And 
I got left field seats. And I ended up, it was hilarious. I ended up in at an Orioles game sitting in a section with a bunch of Red Sox fans. <laughs> and this was like 2003. So it's like the year before they won the World Series, but they were still a good team. And uh, it, was a, it was a great experience seeing the Red Sox fans and Oriole fans yelling at each other half the game to the point where certain people got kicked out of the uh, the ballpark. Classic. So it, it was a great experience. I love the ballpark. I love the stadium. Indoors, though, indoors is a different conversation. There is nothing, nothing on earth like a near-capacity boardwalk hall. And I'm not saying that just because it's in our backyard, but because the way the sound of the crowd echoes off the roof in that building, it's near deafening. What sport? A little East Coast Hockey League action? When the UFC was in Atlantic City recently, they had two-third capacity for the prelims. And by the time New Jersey's own Frankie Yeager walked up for the co-main event, the place was near deafening. And the way the sound echoes around that building, even when the crowd gets quiet and you hear the punching and you hear the striking from media row, the acoustics in the place amplify the ambiance of Boardwalk Hall to me. I've actually never been there. Is that a violation? Violation, no, but am I disappointed? Yes. Well, to be fair, when was this UFC event? think it was 2018. Okay, keep in mind, I'm very new to UFC, right? I mean, I'm talking to you about my fandom and how I'm trying to get into well, it. there's so other things at well, Boardwalk that, Hall. But that's what I was going to go into. What was the biggest event at Boardwalk Hall since, you know, the last, say, year? Over the last year? I mean, the MAC tournament was there before the shutdown happened. Uh, I mean, they've had boxing. They've had UFC. They've had tons of concerts there. Right. So the, nothing that would truly be The like Arena Broads, Football League was there last summer, there. which was a very cool experience. So I think the shame can, say, can be, bro, you should have went to one of the AC Blackjacks games. But yes. here's my counter. I you was, were here working. I was here working the board for those games. So but I couldn't get out there and do it. My memory is correct. It was... 2018. So that's a that's a good pull by me. Great pull by you. Yeah, I just I remember how the arena was because you know I, I I was too young to go to like Mike Tyson in Atlantic City or some of those throwbacks the guys like Dave Weinberg and Mike Gill have covered in the past. You know, you know it just wasn't really my age. You know, you're not you're not bringing like a young kid to a, a fight. You know what I mean? Unless you're like a degenerate gambling and you can't leave your kid at home because you can't afford the babysitter because you spent all the money on the on the gambling that night possible there there are probably situations like that out there now what was the name of that east coast hockey league team in atlantic city do you know off the top of your head this is something i, I want to say the boardwalk bullies i think that sounds right atlantic city east coast hockey league let's see what we got i'll look up atlantic city boardwalk bullies for okay what do you got another question no, what? I mean, would, would your search oh, I was, come up? I was just, oh, I, I can't find it. Nothing. It was up. the Atlantic City Boardwalk oh, yeah, Bullies. 2001 I got to 2005. Yep. I feel like Atlantic City, I'm picturing, so, you know, I've been around playing a lot of hockey in my life, playing in Boston, Vermont, Maryland. Like, I've been around, and i played in so many different spots. If I wasn't from New Jersey, and you told me I played in Atlantic City, that would be a pretty sick place to play. You know? Like, right by the beach. Like, I always picture, because nowadays there's so many hockey programs out there that kids stay local more than they do go away and play. 
But when I grew up, it's you leave home, you live with like a host family, or you live in an apartment, and you go play. So you leave home and do it. Now there's so much around. But I couldn't, I couldn't imagine not being from New Jersey and then coming to a place like Atlantic City. That would be an unbelievable place to play. Jealous. We got more Ask Broads and Josh questions coming up next. We'll get to them in the next segment. Of course, Kevin Durso will join us at the top of the hour. 5 o'clock, talk Flyers hockey. Speaking of hockey, Sports Bash being brought to you by Matt Blackia. Matt Blackia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Blackia on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor. We have some leftover Ask Broads and Josh questions. Try to get to them here. Uh, John from Collinswood follows up and says, this is a vital question for Josh and Hunter. What is your preferred type of footwear? As in brand or style of shoe? Because well, I don't know if he means like flip-flop, shoe, slipper. Well, he doesn't say, so I think it leaves it open-ended for how do you want to answer that, Broads? Well, I think the way I will approach it is say this. Uh, a Nike shoe. That's my preferred. I got a bunch of Nike shoes, so whether that's, you know, a, a basketball shoe or a Nike running shoe or, you know, just, a, you know, a Nike sneaker, like, in, in that type of style, I'm a Nike shoe guy, preferably. I have other shoes, but that's where I would go if I could choose, you know, any So, I'm a sneakers guy in general. I pretty much never wear flip-flops or sandals. If I go to the beach, like, there's times for flip-flops and sandals that are reasonable. Rarely, yeah. Very, very infrequent situations. I've always been a sneaker guy. Basketball sneaker, casual sneaker. Uh, I'm, I'm very big on comfort when it comes to the sneaker. So if it fits my foot, and my foot's a pretty big foot, then I'm, I'm down for the comfort. So that's my preferred footwear. Uh, my favorite color is black, so most of my shoe wear is black. Yeah, I'm opposite. See, I'm I am in love with this white on white look. I mean, I'm I'm already telling the fiance, look, I need a couple new pairs of shoes. I've been sending her some new Nikes that I like, all white, and I love rocking them with the all white socks. I think it is just a clean, smooth look. But for these certain type of shoes, as you can see here, Josh, as I'm giving you a little bit of a a look. It's a now, Nike with a black outline and uh, what's yes. the other color? Gray. Yes, gray. But the, these are Lebrons. These are a pair of okay. Lebrons. But with this shoe, mandatory black high sock. You can't go white Nike sock with this shoe. I wear black sock all the time. You gotta have some white uh, nope. white Nike midcaps. Nope. That's majority of my sock collection. Not mine. Now here's the thing I always get yelled at. The amount of holes in these socks. Well, you gotta throw them out. No. You gotta I, replace them. I, just, I, I have so many white Nike socks that are just been around for so I long. I knew ones. Holes in one. I, you know. Hey, you know. I do. I replenish them. I do get new ones, but I keep the other ones in play. I don't. Oh, I do. Once once the holes start coming in, they're trash. Nah, I get yelled at all the time. I'll be on the couch, and there'll be a hole like by the middle of my foot. She, are you kidding me? Yeah, what, what's wrong with it? A lot wrongs with it. What? It looks ridiculous. Well, it's in the bottom of my shoe half the time. They're not that big. It's not like obnoxious. It's like a little hole. Not crazy big. Come on, throw me a bone. Hey, South Jersey, this is Billy Schwime. Tune in to The Locker Room every Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon on 97.3 ESPN.